Welcome to Impact, a podcast ministry of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Middleton, Wisconsin. Impact features interviews with gifted Bible teachers that will help you better understand Scripture so it will have a greater impact on your life. The host of Impact is Mark Jenstead, the staff minister for Nurture at St. Andrew. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us on Impact. Whether you are here for the first time or a returning listener, I am grateful you are here and encourage that you are interested in gaining a greater understanding of the wonderful Word of God. It is such a precious gift from our gracious Father. And our guest today is Professor Steve Geiger from Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, and he will help us better understand this wonderful gift from God. Uh, Before we talk to Professor Geiger, let's ask for the Lord's blessing on our study. Dear Father, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light on our path. Send us the Holy Spirit to increase our understanding that your word may have a greater impact on our lives. Amen. So folks, I will ask this uh, two things of you, if if I can. Uh, Number one, if you would keep this podcast ministry in your prayers that those who listen to this ministry are strengthened in their faith and and gain a greater understanding of God's Word, and it does have a greater impact on their lives, and that you would pray for the the ministry of the the guests who come on and and help us understand God's Word. And then number two, if you can think of someone in your life, your family or a friend or maybe someone you work with who, who might benefit and enjoy this podcast and tell them about it, You do those two things, and I would appreciate that. And I will say a prayer for you as well, that that you continue to grow in your faith and that God blesses you. So Mequon, Wisconsin, just north of Milwaukee at Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary. I had a chance uh, today to walk around the grounds a little bit. It's a beautiful campus, and so if you ever get the chance, please come and and visit Wisconsin Lutheran Seminary, and, and you'll agree with me, it is a beautiful place to be. My guest today, Professor Steve Geiger, welcome back to Impact. Thank you. So as we're continuing the series here in in John, these conversations that Jesus has, Nicodemus, the last two weeks, and and now the Samaritan woman. Um, Before we get to that, uh, this is the summer as we're recording this, the the end of July. And so I know you have a little more free time in the summer, Professor, uh, with help of students being here on campus. So tell us something about what you do what does Professor Steve Geiger do in his free time? With six kids, maybe you don't have it. I don't know. <laughs> it is it is very bit like you, you step back and you think about that every once in a while. Like um, I always remember my wife would talk about her grandparents and how like they would just they lived on a farm and they had lots lots of children and where was their farm? Um, in in Michigan. Okay. Yeah, and uh, but she just commented on how she would like her grandma would just be still at like nine o'clock at night, still like working hard, like doing <laughs> stuff around around the house, right, just to keep everyone everyone going. But yeah, no, it's it's obviously a huge blessing to to be a dad and to have lots of children to be able to help them out and do things. And um, definitely during the summer, we've had the chance to do family vacations. And from a professor side, it's a chance to do projects maybe that you haven't been able to keep up with. Although there are some regular things that just keep on going. We have pastors come on to campus, uh, so for continuing education. So we do some teaching. I'm working on writing a book at at this moment um, during during the uh, weeks of the summer. Can you tell us a little bit about that book? Yeah. Um, so it's it's basically how did the Bible come to be? The story of the Bible. 
uh, from like the very beginning, how, how were the books crafted? How they how were they collected? Like what made something? But how did you know if this was a book directly from God or if it was something that humans were writing? And then what about the 2000 years that have passed about mm -hmm. since when they were originally written? And now that we have them, like the copying process and how did it make it from way back then till right now? And then I'll talk a little bit also in the book about translations. Like people are aware that there are different Bible translations. What makes them different? Are they are there good, bad, or is it they have different philosophies of translation? Or like how should I know? How do I know which which is a good translation that I should use? So you're talking about like like the E. Well, I have three Bibles in front of me. I have the ESV, I have the EHV, and I have the NIV. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, so just to help people understand why are there so many different translations? Like, how, how does that happen? And then are there strengths to certain translations, weaknesses to certain translations? It's kind of a, practic kind of a practical guide at the end, as that is how the Bible has come to this very year, right? As we think about the story of the Bible, that's the very last chapter. Okay, what's the target date? Well, Lord willing, um, the writing would be complete by next summer. And then it should be released released within a year or plus from that point. And you just gave my wife or my mom, I would think one of those two, a, a great idea for a birthday or a Christmas present for me because I, I look forward to reading that one day. As well as a public deadline now hanging over yeah. my head. Thank you very much. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can edit that out if you want. Maybe that's good for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, blessings on that project. Thank that's you. exciting. When it comes out, folks, uh, grab a copy, please. You will enjoy it. I, I can promise you that. So we are in John chapter 4 today. Jesus talks with a Samaritan woman. Before we get into the text, can you give us a, a little bit about this, this, this hostility that we see in the Scripture between the Jews and the Samaritans? So the Samaritans as a group of people, like there are things we don't know about them. There seems to be some connection, the Samaritan people and Jews that were left behind after the captivity of God's people when they had rejected him and then he took them off to foreign countries. And then there were other peoples that were transplanted into Israel and so was their intermarriage. Like we don't know all of the kind of background of the Samaritans, but the bottom line is they were viewed by Jews as not Jews. So there was something impure about them and that's where the intermarriage thing could very well have been a factor. And they had some different doctrines. So they actually believed in the first five books of Moses, but they changed some things in the first five books of Moses, including they added a commandment which told them to not worship in Jerusalem, but to worship at another mountain in Samaria. So there were some commonalities. They had a different understanding of what the Messiah was supposed to be, the tribe that he was supposed to come from, and all of the rest. So like there's enough that you'd, it'd make you think, well, like, you know, did they, what, did they believe some things that were true? And I think the answer would be yes, they did believe some things that were true. But they most certainly believed uh, uh, in very important things that were not true. And this, like the background difference, the impurity difference from a religious perspective, um, it led to very significant conflict between Jew and Samaritan, even to the point of violence. We have some incidents that are recorded in extra-biblical literature that speak about some of the activities that happened between these two groups. They did not like each other. And um, that, of course, sets the scene for Jesus going to the very place where a lot of people were, they were, un Jews were uncomfortable being there. And that really sets the stage for the heart of Jesus, which shows itself in the rest of the story. 
And this story is about 40 verses in John chapter 4. So I, I would, first of all, encourage you folks to read that, John chapter 4. Uh, we're not going to touch on every verse, but uh, we'll, we'll kind of pick and choose a little bit and, and get to, to know about this conversation that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman. Suffice it to say, if it was up to the disciples, they would not have went through Samaria to get there in, they're in Judea. They need to get to Galilee. They would have went around Samaria, but it says in verse 4, speaking of Jesus, now he had to go through Samaria. Well, Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria because most Jews went around Samaria, so he could have went around Samaria. That's not what it means. What does it mean? That he had to go through Samaria. Yeah, this is, um, like, we don't know all of the thoughts that are in the mind of God when he makes, makes a decision, but for... For it to be described in this way, that it was necessary that this happened, certainly certainly tells us that there was a master plan of God that made it necessary for Jesus to take this particular path. As a person reading this story, you're saying, hmm, like why? Why did he have to go through Samaria? What we definitely detect once we get into the story is, okay, like here was a huge blessing that came from Jesus going through Samaria. And so I think it's very natural to connect those dots. Jesus had some important ministry to do there. He needed to go through Samaria. Another word that stands out to me here is in verse 5, when Jesus uh, gets to Jacob's well, it says that he was tired from the journey. Reminds me of Jesus being on the boat before he calmed the storm. He, he was sleeping because we presume he was tired. So that there's some significance there, isn't there? That, that Jesus, who you just said is God, is tired. One of the things that makes me um, smile when I read this is uh, when, whenever we go to Israel on tours, we walk a ton, like a ton. And like I'm eating I think it's almost inevitable that I'm losing weight when I'm on a tour to Israel because you do so much walking. I don't know if we understand uh, what it means to not have cars, not have bicycles, not have, like they were walking and the area that Jesus was walking into was not like a flat, nice road that like, there were ups and downs and ups and downs. So this was, it, it, it was draining. They, they must've been in great shape. Um, these, you know, ancient, uh, maybe people all around the world, but um, for him to get there, for him to be tired, it's for us to know he's just like us in a very important respect. He's a human being. He's somebody who feels the weariness that we can feel after doing something that is very difficult. And there are times where we learn something specific about, okay, how do we properly deal with tiredness and weariness? Here, what it sets the stage for is, oh, I need a drink. Like, I need some water, right? And that's how the story kicks off. Okay, so Jesus is at Jacob's well. He's there first, and then this Samaritan woman shows up. And the first thing that Jesus says to her is fascinating question. It's, it's, it's a, lot more, a lot more to this question than it might seem. He says... Will you give me a drink? And and he he's trying to write start a dialogue with her. And and but wh why is this an unusual request? He's he's tired. We presume he's thirsty. Will you give me a drink? But but it, it is unusual for him to ask her why. And I think she puts her finger on it when she responds to him. You know, and John really then gives the context. Jews don't associate with Samaritans. So she says, "You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. You don't talk to me 
You're a man, I'm a woman. And is that part of it too? There could be a male-female thing in there as well. It, that it doesn't end up being the thing she focuses on, right? Mm-hmm. Um, she focuses on the, the ethnic background. And so this was apparently, I mean, like that's pretty stunning really, that, that Samaritans presumed Jews wouldn't even talk to them. That is a huge divide, a huge divide. And Jesus, in that moment, he breaks the barrier. Like he says, I'm not going to let that stand in the way of having a conversation with you. A commentator that I read said this about, about this request when Jesus says, will you give me a drink? The reality is he wanted to quench her thirst a lot more than he wanted her to quench his. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And to see again, you know, Jesus is, he's just really, really, of course he's good. He's perfect at this. But taking physical things and moving the conversation into a spiritual realm, like when we think about witnessing to our friends and relatives and everything, like it's, oh, this is like such an uncomfortable thing to bring up. Or like we're scared to start talking about spiritual things. And, and Jesus she, he's he's not only not afraid, but he just so deftly, like so beautifully moves in. Um, you know, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. So she says, this is crazy. And Jesus says, actually, um, it's not, it's crazy. Yeah, but for a reason you're not even thinking of yet. You should, You think it's strange for me to ask you for a drink? You should be asking me for a drink. Which it just shows, absolutely, Jesus was, he had a bigger concern on his mind for this lady. He knew her. I'm just getting done with uh, helping lead science camp at my home church, St. Andrew, which is our kind of our version of Vacation Bible School. It's a science camp. This year, our theme was The Wonders of Water. And our theme song was Living Waters, a Keith Getty song. Great song. You can look that up, folks. Living Waters, Keith Getty. So I, that's really on my brain right now. And, and that phrase is taken right from this conversation that Jesus has with the Samaritan woman. And, and so you just said what he said to her. Uh, what, what about this living water? What, what, what is the living water that Jesus speaks about here? So, right, it's, it's kind of a, it's a general statement, isn't it? It's water and it's living water. And there may have been different connotations you know, at that time about exactly what, um, you know, living water would make people think, think about. But maybe the easiest thing to say is it's not dead water. It's not water that is useless. It's not water that isn't going to accomplish anything. It is something that is alive. And he goes on to explain just in what respect this water is alive. He says, you drink it, you'll never be thirsty again, right? And then the water will actually spring up. It's like a well of water. Um, you know, there's movement to this water. So there may be like lots of different connotations, but I think the, the kind of fundamental base thing is it does something. And it's really, um, I don't know, like she says, where can, like she doesn't say, she doesn't say, um, Oh, that's right. Living water. That's what comes out of rivers or something like that. I mean, maybe she, but she just sees it as something weird. It appears. Where are you going to get something like that? Uh, where are you going to get, get this water that you're describing? Um, and, and that's, 
I think it's a set, you know, in some ways it's like a setup. Jesus says something that is intriguing, doesn't make complete sense. And then she asks a question and then he gives another answer. And I don't know if this is like just a side thing here, but again, when we think about witnessing, sometimes we imagine, like we'll say, I don't know what to say. Um, I'll say it wrong. One of the best ways to witness, and I think Jesus is a beautiful example of this, is to like, just say a little bit. Don't think you have to say the whole thing. Say something, but, and, and then just be quiet. Let the person you're speaking to speak back to you. And I think what you end up finding is, like, n- none of us is, oh, like, I'm so scared to get into conversations. Like, you, we have conversations every day. In fact, to be with another person actually makes it easy f- easier for us, in the end, to think to say what we would want to say in reply, to ask questions, like, right? That, that is, it's a, precisely what Jesus is doing. And, and then you do pray for wisdom to raise the intriguing thoughts, you know, in a way that will make the questions come back to you appropriately. Jesus clearly did that here with living water. Yeah, I, th- I think, uh, just to follow up on that, I, I think a great way to think about witnessing, and, and for those of us, all of us, that are sometimes reluctant because we 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 are fearful that we won't know what to say is is try to start a conversation and and get some back and forth going and you'd be surprised folks if if you can get that going and and people start asking you questions then what you say is simply do the best job you can with answering the questions that they ask of you so uh, that's something to think about and as as professor geiger said to pray about a verse here from Isaiah 49, as, as I think about this, uh, what Jesus says to her. First, let me read verses 13 and 14. Professor Geiger, you paraphrase these words. Uh, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water, he talked about the living water previously, and now he says, everyone who drinks this water, he's talking about just regular water, will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become a, in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And then I, I find these words in Isaiah 49, Professor. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. So that's Isaiah 800 years before Jesus talking about living water and the spring of water. Isaiah talks about this spring of water. And then the next thing that Jesus says to the woman is... Go call your husband and come back. Now, he knows that she is not married. So why did he tell her to go get her husband? And like, and you could even say, like, she had just asked him for water. And then he says, go call your husband. Like, what's the connection there, right? So, yeah, it feels like it's, it feels like it's out of the blue. Like, what had she said at this point? Give me, give me that water. And then I don't have to come back here. Um, what does Jesus want her to know? She's thinking the water is earthly water for physical thirst. Jesus wants her to know, uh, we're not talking about that at all. We're talking about something spiritual. So how can Jesus convey to her that he's talking about something spiritual? Well, remember, like the deeds thing we taught, the, the deeds are evil, they're hidden in darkness, right? That's the from the Nicodemus side of things. That was like the bad path. That's the way that sinful flesh naturally goes. What does Jesus do to help her realize we're talking about something that is spiritual? 
and not just theoretically spiritual. Like sometimes when we think about spiritual, you think about, oh, like these people that go to high mountains, you know, and look into the sky and think deep thoughts. We all are spiritual beings. This is not some like uh, way out there concept. What is spiritual about us? Well, my behavior and whether it's consistent with the will of God or not. So Jesus moves her into recognizing this is a conversation about spiritual matters, things that are more profound than earthly matters, by, by drawing attention to a sin that she had committed, that he knew about, that she didn't know how he knew about it. But eventually that, she kind of connects some dots there. And so she'll, she says, oh, um, I, I'm not married. And he says, you're right but you're living with a man and he's not your husband. And, and this is wrong is in essence the point at this, at this stage, but he just leaves it sit out there for her to respond to. And her response then is, I can see that you are a prophet. And she continues, our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. So, how about picking up on that, what, what, uh, what she says back to Jesus? I know you're a prophet, and then the difference between, she kind of touches on the difference between the, the Jews and the Samaritans. The fact that uh, she calls him a prophet means you've got a link to God somehow. There's information you have that you couldn't know just as a, you know, a regular person without some con uh, connection. And what's the link, or what, what, what leads her to that conclusion? It's the fact that he just told her that, she had all these former husbands and that she wasn't married to the one that she's married to now. So now she realizes, okay, he's special. So he's moved her into the spiritual mindset. And she says, I've got a question about the spiritual thing. She's not asking about water to, 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 to wet her lips anymore. Now she's asking spiritual things. And she says, you know, you Jews say we have to worship in Jerusalem, but we worship on Mount Gerizim. Now, this was, I had mentioned there was that extra commandment that they add to their Bibles. We actually found, found a Samaritan Bible. It was in the 1600s, and, and uh, it was an amazing discovery. And when they found it, they, they, they no noted these places where it differed from the Hebrew Bible, and this was one of the notable places. So she's authentically confused. She has been taught this way from, from the time of being a little girl, and she knows there's a difference. And she says, help me out here. Uh, she basically just says a statement, but it's a spiritual statement, right? But Jesus, Jesus replies to it. So she's recognizing now that there's something about this person that makes him distinct. And that moves into the next stage of the conversation. I want to go back just for a moment. I was going to ask about this and then something else got in my mind and I forgot. I want to go back to verse 12. She said... <laughs> To Jesus, after he talked about this, this living water, you should have asked me and I would have given you living water. And she said, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well? A couple of things there, I guess, uh, our father, that the Jews and the Samaritans claim together Jacob as their father. But then the idea that, that are you greater than Jacob? <laughs> it, it, it's, it's kind of amusing because she's talking to God, are you greater than Jacob, uh, our father? So I, I think you've touched on this a little bit, but this idea that the, that, the, that the Jews and the Samaritans both 
both, although there's, there's huge differences, they both claim Jacob as their father. Yeah, so that gets back to the ethnic background of them, and there was an is there was a Jewish component for certain, and then just the question of how how much that was impacted by foreign foreign marriage and things like that. But from a spiritual perspective, they thought they were right. Um, there's no question about it, and you know that's again that's that's a it's a good reminder for us today. Sometimes you can think, oh, like all these denominations and all these different people who are claiming to be right. Like it's just, okay, let's just agree to disagree or whatever. Like you just get, you can get frustrated internally with it. You can feel like you just have to give up. You can feel like there's no place for anyone to lay claim to the truth. We just all have to admit we don't know who's right. That is not at all the way God looks at it. Now that doesn't mean you're arrogant. It doesn't mean that you can't be patient with someone who's struggling with something. But Jesus is very clear. There is a truth. And there is a place from which you get that truth. And he doesn't just say to her, oh yeah, whatever. Okay, if you want to believe that, that's fine. Um, she did think that she was on the right side. And she did think that if Jesus was going to give water, so Jacob's this hero because he gave us this well. If Jesus can give water, then he's even greater than the hero, right, who gave them this well. And that's where she's still not fully understanding what the water is as, as well. That's, that's a key part here. And we're getting close here, folks, to, to the moment in this uh, encounter between Jesus and the woman where Jesus reveals himself to the woman as the Messiah. And uh, that, you'll have to wait, though, for next week. We're going to come back and finish it up, part two, with uh, Professor Geiger next week. So I invite you and encourage you to come back then. Professor, thanks for your time today. You're welcome. We'll see you next week. And folks, thank you for listening. And may the Lord bless you and keep you. Thank you for listening to Impact, a podcast ministry of St. Andrew Lutheran Church in Middleton, Wisconsin. Our email address is impact at st-andrew-online.org. That's impact at st-andrew-online.org. Please tell your friends and family about Impact and pray for this ministry. Impact is new every Monday and all past episodes are available. The better you understand scripture, the greater impact it will have on your life.